So I think there has to be a, a mutual relationship there. So there has to be like some sort of trust factor. Can't expect our kids to talk to us if we never talk to them about how we feel. That seems kind of backwards. I wouldn't go talk to somebody about how I felt if they never were like open to me about it. So why would I expect my kids to do that with me? This episode is sponsored by By Heart. By Heart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, By Heart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Our blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk. Alpha-Lac, as well as Lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum, along with broken down, partially hydrolyzed proteins. BiHeart is an easy-to-digest formula. In addition to its patented protein blend, our formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. BiHeart is the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. So Kyle Mitchell is a mental health advocate, speaker, soon-to-be author, and social media influencer who is passionate about solving the problems associated with poor mental health in the world and the impact they have on our communities, especially teens and youth. Having struggled and conquered his own social anxiety after a 10-year battle, he has found his calling and purpose to impact the lives of others on a global scale. Kyle's mission is to help 1 million teens go from socially anxious to socially confident, collaborating with teens, educators, parents, nonprofits, and other organizations to change the narrative and stigma that currently exists. So thank you so much, Kyle, for being here. I am so excited to cover this topic today and to have you share your story with my audience as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So I actually, interestingly, just finished a three-part series on the state of children's mental health. And I'm sure with everything you do, you know that uh, it's not in a very good place. It was already declining before COVID. And since COVID, it has really taken a hit. So 
we definitely, all of us parents, educators, the whole community really need to start educating ourselves and pulling together resources for our kids. So I'm so happy to have you today. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you kind of finished your your series right at the right point. It was a Yet, no, it was two days ago that the CDC just released a report on teen mental health and adolescent mental health. I haven't even had a chance to look at it yet, but. I haven't either. So thanks for pointing that out. I'll go check that out <laughs> later today. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I would, um, I did a little bit of research before this episode. And so just to kind of bring some awareness around I mean, it's not just anxiety, but that was really the struggle that you had. But I did a little bit of research because it seems to me that even just anecdotally, that anxiety seems to be uh, quite a common struggle for a lot of people, kids and adults alike. So when I did the research, it, you know, unfortunately didn't disappoint. It was almost 20% of adults have some form of anxiety disorder, diagnosable anxiety disorder. So this topic isn't just about helping our kids. There's also probably a lot of parents out there dealing with this who um, may want to think about getting some help if they've been struggling with some anxiety because, you know, raising kids is an anxiety um, provoking experience in and of itself. <laughs> sure, yeah. So your story is just really inspiring. But first, I'd like to have us just start with something really basic. Can you tell us what is anxiety? Yeah. So anxiety is just, well, uh, I'm used to defining like social anxiety. So like social anxiety is the fear of being negatively judged by others. And I guess how to define just anxiety in itself is, it's really how I like to say it is like, it's your brain trying to protect you because it thinks you're in danger. So that's when anxiety is kind of launched in, into gear. So that that's how I always kind of look at it and explain it. Yeah. So it's kind of a fear. So it puts us in a state of survival mode, right? Instead of a state of yeah. being able to kind of create and live um, more from our true self. So we end up in this survival mode and it can exhibit in many ways. One of those ways is social anxiety, which we're going to talk about a lot today. But then there's like OCD, post-traumatic stress. There's a couple, there's general anxiety disorder, which just where it really affects your life. Like there's things you want to do in life, but it holds you back from doing it because of the fears of like, in the case of like OCD, potentially getting hurt or, um, you know, the fear judgment and all of those things. So we would love to have you share your story of dealing with anxiety as a teenager or before. Sure. I mean, looking back, I struggled with social anxiety my entire life, pretty much. As early as like kindergarten, I can remember things and be like, oh, that's that's what I was experiencing. Obviously, at that time, I didn't know what I was going through. Even, you know, as a high school and college student, a lot of times I didn't know what anxiety was or what exactly it was that I was experiencing. But um, it really kind of got brought to the forefront for me when I transitioned to a different school, transferred to a different school. And I went from this like really small private school with about 200 students in it. And then I switched to this very large public school with about 1,600 students in it. So that was, that was quite the culture shock for me, as for most people, to be honest. I mean, that's a, that's a big shift for really anybody. Um, but for me, it was really just on another level because, you know, kind of like I talk about, I, you know, I struggle with social anxiety and general anxiety greatly. So going to a school where, you know, I've, I've never uh, went to a public school before. I've never, you know, rode a bus to school. And it's the first time I didn't have to, you know, wear a uniform to school. 
So it was a lot of uh, new and unknown things coming up to me all at once. And I figured out that the first day of school that the bus started dropping me off 40 minutes before my first class ever started. So most people would, you know, spend their time hanging out with friends, spending the time in the cafeteria. Uh, not me. Like I said, I didn't know anybody there. I didn't know what to do. I just knew I wanted to blend in somehow. And honestly, if I could have had it my way, I would have just went and sat in the corner and just chilled by myself. I would have been completely okay with that. But I feared people would, you know, negatively judge me and, you know, who's that loser over there with no friends? Why is that guy over there by himself? So what I started to do was just walk the halls in circles for that whole 40 minutes, just so I could blend in with the, you know, the sea of people traveling constantly. And I thought, you know, this will work great. I'm just gonna be able to blend in, you know, nobody's gonna ever know what I'm doing. Until one day, you know, somebody did, I got on the bus to head home from school and somebody called me out in front of everybody and said, why do you walk the halls and circles every morning? And I remember just feeling my stomach or my heart rather just drop down into my stomach. And I felt so embarrassed and ashamed. And I knew the next day of school, obviously I couldn't walk the halls anymore because I thought everybody, you know, knew my plan and many people did. So from that point forward, I started going into the bathroom stall every morning and I would just sit there and cry until, you know, my first class started and I had all these racing thoughts in my head of like, you know, why can't I do this? Why can't I talk to people? Why can't I make friends? You know, and the biggest one is, you know, why am I not normal like everybody else? And, you know, fast forward a little bit, that's really what brought me to my mission today, which is to help 1 million teens go from socially anxious to socially confident. Because I am not just wanting to be, but I am that person that I wish I had in high school. I wish I would have known somebody in high school that could have shared their story with anxiety for me. So I would have known that, you know, I'm not just this weird outlier kid. Like I was experiencing something that probably tons of people around me were experiencing as well, but I was feeling so alone and I didn't know what that feeling was or how to deal with it. And that made it so much worse. So that's, that was, a. That's pretty much my anxiety story in a nutshell, at least a large chunk of it. Yeah, I mean, that's quite a story. And changing schools is always tough for any kid. I think, no matter, you know, it's interesting because, you know, sometimes we look at people and we think they have confidence, but most of us don't. But you have no idea what's going on underneath with anyone. And you're right, there were probably a lot of kids struggling and suffering, and you had no idea. You just knew you were. Yeah. And we all think like, you know, I don't even know what normal is, but we all think like, why can't I just be normal in whatever way we feel like we're not and we're not fitting in. So up to that point, so you said you'd been to like small schools, small private schools. Had you been able to make friends at other schools a little more easily because they were smaller or had you always kind of struggled or it was always like other kids came to you? So I was really lucky because I grew up, I had a small group of friends at the private school that I went to. But we all went to, you know, the same church together. So I'd literally been around them my whole life ever since I was probably like three or four. You know, we went to nursery together and everything. So that was, they were just like my family, basically. And so I was pretty comfortable around them, outside of them, you know, with other people around the school, very anxious. 
Uh, and then once I transferred schools, you know, I lost, I lost that crutch. So I had no one anymore, which I'd never experienced that before. And that, that was really challenging. My daughter actually has said that she has social anxiety. She's kind of diagnosed herself with social anxiety and she came home from school with a picture that she had drawn in class of what social anxiety feels like. Mm -hmm. And it's this picture of her kind of sitting, crouching in the middle, kind of trying to feel, be very small and hide. And there's all these eyeballs, like big eyeballs, like Mm -hmm. surrounding her. (laughs) And she's so creative. It's such a beautiful depiction of what that feels like. So that was another reason I thought this was just a great topic because, you know, she's, she's done amazing and she makes friends pretty well, but she very much struggles with that uh, worry about if she answers a question in class or if she gives an idea that she's going to be judged. And so she holds back and that's, you know, it robs the world of us when we hold back, when we hold back the ideas that we have or the answers that we have, even if they're wrong or even if they're be something that someone else doesn't think is the greatest idea. It's us all giving our ideas together that can build something amazing. And so helping kids overcome this fear is, is really important and holds them back from, you know, feeling comfortable in life and showing up. So, so what did you do? What happened after that? How did you start on this journey to confront your social anxiety? Sure. So it, it took a while to really get going. So in high school, like I said, you know, went through that period where I was in the bathroom every every morning and eventually got to like a breaking point where I was like, okay, I have to tell somebody about this. So I remember telling my parents just kind of what was going on, how I was feeling, you know, what some of the thoughts were. I also told my school counselor. Um, so started, you know, just really opening up to really this, those two or three people. That was the beginning of it. That allowed me to release that burden of emotion that I was just packing in and was never able to express. And that's what I always encourage everybody to do to, you know, at the very beginning is find someone that you can talk to and express to them, you know, how you feel. And even if they can't like provide you any advice or solutions or answers, which you probably don't want anyways, <laughs> just being able to express that to somebody will give you great relief. Now it's not going to, you know, toss your anxiety away, but it's going to feel amazing. And doing that and, you know, going to my counselor probably once or twice a week until I, I graduated, you know, allowed me to get through high school manageably. And so when I got to college, I was kind of back on my own again. And I got to the point where it was like, you know what? I I need to do something about this. I remember having like walking into my bedroom of my apartment and kind of having this thought or voice in my head. It was like, okay, let's do something. Like you can't live the rest of your life like this, man. I mean, if if I'm lucky, I have, you know, 50 plus years left. I don't want to live it feeling like this every day. It's just not fun. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do anything and everything to make this happen. Like, I want to get back in control of my life because I'm tired of my social anxiety dictating what I do. So that's what kind of led me to coming up with these three steps. And I didn't come up with them in order. It was kind of, I kind of, you know, managed them in order as I, I came about. But 
what first kind of got me into it was something my dad told me when I was in high school. He was trying to give me some advice of, you know, what I could do. He was telling me about how he felt really shy when, you know, he was younger. He wasn't very good at talking to people. He lived in Vegas at the time. He went and learned to become a blackjack dealer. (laughs) Uh, So he would be forced to interact with people all the time. Uh, At that time, I wasn't, you know, ready to hear the advice, but I kind of thinking back, I was like, okay, I need to do something similar to that. But I was like, that's way too big for me. I know that's just going to make things worse. So I was like, I want to do some sort of thing to kind of put me out there. So I started practicing, you know, what they call exposure therapy, which I didn't know that's what it was at the time. I always just called it uncomfortable challenges. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I started doing that. And like I said, that's what I first started doing. Now you did this on your own or you had a therapist who was guiding you in it? I did this on my own. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, I would definitely (laughs) do it with a therapist. But uh, um, yeah, so I started doing some of these little challenge, what I called uncomfortable challenges to just kind of just barely expose myself to these things that made me really anxious. So the first one ever that I did, because I was in college and every single class took a participation grade, which took up about 10 to 15% of your grade. And it was more than just like showing up to class. You actually had to like raise your hand and do stuff like that, answer questions, which my whole life I had always avoided doing that. I was great at, you know, being under the radar. So teachers didn't call me that type of thing. So I was suffering in in it at that point because you know my grade was suffering because of it. So I was like, "That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to raise my hand just one time in every class and just answer a question. That's what I'm going to do." So I started doing that um, just over and over and over again. And after about I don't know four or five, maybe six weeks, I started to feel less and less anxious about. It. I started to feel pretty confident about raising my hand. In fact, some classes, at least the ones that I actually enjoyed, I actually enjoyed doing this, you know, being able to answer my questions or, you know, answer the questions, kind of like what you were saying earlier about how anxiety keeps you from, you know, spreading your ideas. You know, I had all these ideas and answers in my head all the time, but I was too anxious to ever actually express it. And by doing this, I was able to do so. And like I said, I got to the point where I was like, oh, okay, like, this doesn't make me anxious anymore to raise my hand anymore. So I just continued doing, you know, challenges over and over again, getting a little bit bigger and bigger every time. And yeah, that was, that was kind of my journey. Wow. That's really interesting. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. 
air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep, and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T. P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HIPAA 14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. These later years of childhood have been flying by. As a mom, I want to not just be available to my kids during these last years they have at home, but I want to feel good and have the energy I need to keep up with their schedule and my own. So my health is a top priority. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and body back into harmony. You're not alone on your wellness journey. Every customer gets one-on-one support to help you meet your goals. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. A healthy gut positively impacts immunity, mental health, sleep, digestion, and skin health. It helps regulate digestion, immunity against bad bacteria, and improve nutrient absorption. The gut has been called the second brain because it contains more than 100 million nerve cells. It is a vitally important piece to our overall health, both physical and mental. So to make sure my gut is working at its potential, I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense to improve my digestion and nutrition absorption, boost my overall immune health, and help with sleep and stress as a bonus. Head to myeq.com and use code parenting for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code parenting at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. The level of, I think, self-awareness that you had was pretty profound for being a teenager. And not to to diss your gender at all. Um, I think men are great, but men tend to just kind of push through and not want to face like I'm supposed to be strong. I'm supposed to, you know, I'm not supposed to struggle with these things because I'm a male. And so the courage to reach out to both your parents and your school counselor and to say, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Cause I mean, I struggled in in high school a lot more with like depression, but it just never occurred to me to go to my school counselor and talk. I just, I don't know if I just thought it was a normal part of being a teenager. I'm, I'm not sure, but it didn't occur to me to, gee, reach out and get some help. So I just think there, there's a lot of self-awareness around that. And then for you to go and do your own exposure therapy on top of it, (laughs) to be like, okay, I'm just going to start exposing myself to this and start kind of getting over this in a small way that works for me. I I just think that's a a really great part of your story. So, you know, a lot of kids won't do what you did, right? They won't reach out. They won't be like, this sucks. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I had this with my younger son. He turns out was dealing with some depression a year and a half ago. And I noticed because he was having a lot of big feelings that were out of context for him. And after the second kind of big meltdown, I don't know if I called a meltdown, but just 
just a big emotional outburst, just falling into tears. I was like, something's going on. And I brought it up to him. Um, And that's when we started having him checked out and I got a diagnosis and treatment. So most kids will really hold this in, even to the point where it is detrimental to their lives. So what can we do as parents, as a community to make kids feel more comfortable reaching out? Yeah, and you're exactly right. The The number is 36% of teens with anxiety don't reach out for help for at least 10 years. Wow. 10 years. So yes, most people... So they suffer for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Over a decade before ever actually doing anything about it. And I was one of those people too. Um, I just had to hit a, a whole other level for me to actually do it. Because I, mean, I was struggling through private school too. Um, just you know, I had some support circles. I was able to lean on them at times. So it made it to where it was manageable type of thing. But as far as like getting your kids to open up to you, I think the best strategy is opening up to them, uh, showing them that what they're feeling is okay. So for example, I have, I have three kids. I have one that's about to be nine and then we got a seven-year-old and then our son the baby, he is four. And what we always do is obviously, we you know, we encourage them to open up to us and talk to us if they're, you know, have feeling sad or anxious or whatever it may be. But I always talk to them about how I'm feeling. So I'll, I'll let them know, like, if I'm about to go do a speaking gig and I'm feeling nervous about it, I, I, I love it. I love to let them know that I'm feeling anxious about that. So I think there has to be a a mutual relationship there. So there has to be like some sort of trust factor. Can't expect our kids to talk to us if we never talk to them about how we feel. That seems kind of backwards. I wouldn't go talk to somebody about how I felt if they never were like open to me about it. So why would I expect my kids to do that with me? So I think that's a big thing is just like building that trust and letting your kids know like when you're feeling anxious or, you know, when you're feeling sad or you know, and why you're going through those things. And I think, I think that's a big one. Uh, another one is just validating their feelings. I know with anxiety, especially as if you're a parent that has a kid who has anxiety, that maybe you as a parent didn't experience it like that or haven't experienced that level of anxiety, what they can be saying and expressing can sound like almost irrational. It's like, what? That doesn't really check out. But I mean, how they feel is how they feel. So just validating that emotion and letting them know that you hear them and saying, oh, I hear that you're anxious about doing X, Y, Z. And just listening, not trying to provide advice or solutions. (laughs) You're not there to be their problem solver. I think that is one of the hardest things ever as a parent, because at least for me, instinctually, I'm just like, I want to fix but I have to just like shut that part of my brain up and just just listen and just listen to them talk, validate. And yeah, it's it's definitely very helpful. So for your first point, opening up to our kids, I love that. It's so important because, you know, I think we as parents, we try to shield our kids from so much. And so it's really a fine line because we don't want them to know all of the struggles of being an adult, whether, you know, whatever, some big 
huge bill came in this month and we're stressed about it. So we don't really want to share that with them because we don't want them to worry about money worries. Sure. But at the same time, it's, it is important. You're right to share with our kids when we do have some feelings that are very valid. They need to know that we struggle with feeling nervous, that we struggle with feeling anxious, that we're not quite sure how something maybe is going to turn out. And to share that with them, because you're right, then they feel like, oh, this is what we do. We share our feelings. We share when something didn't quite go our way or when we're feeling nervous about something or when we're feeling sad about something. And it's okay to share it in a way where we're not burdening them, but letting them know that this is norm- these are normal feelings that we all have. So that is a great point. And your second point too about validating, I talk about that so much on the show about validating kids' feelings because what that does is it creates that connection and that bond and it makes us that safe space for them to feel like, because if we, if we try to fix it, if we try to cover it up, if we're like, here, have a popsicle, Um, Rather than talking about feelings, then we send the message that we don't talk about feelings. And then when they're hurting, they might not come to us. So it keeps that door open when we're like, wow, that's that really sucks. I'm so sorry to hear about that. You know, let's cuddle and, you know, and we just give them that safe space to talk about what's bothering them. And then, you know, we can move to problem solving together after that. But that's that's a really great point. So one of the things that we had to talk about, which I would love to hear your take on this is you you talk about supporting mental health in schools. Yeah. So I want to, I'd love to hear your take on that, like the state of where that is right now. What do our kids need that they're not getting when things look the way you feel like the support structure should be? What does that look like? Yeah. So, oh man. Probably do a whole podcast on this. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just do a little bit to get started. So just tell us like, Yeah. Why is this important? Where are we today? What's missing? Um, So let's start with that. Yeah. So, I mean, I I mean, obviously, yeah, we're in a team mental health crisis, as you've described before. It's definitely gotten worse as the pandemic has happened. Uh, Lots of different factors here. You know, with lockdowns, we lost a lot of social interaction. Because of that, so many people started developing social anxiety that never had problem with it before, or even general anxiety, almost like kind of forgot how to interact with people. Uh, another big one, and I can't remember the number. I was just looking at this. I forgot how to dress. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about anything other than sweatpants. But <laughs> uh, another big one, though, is the there's a there's a huge student the school counselor shortage. I think what they recommend is 200 something students per counselor. And I think right now the average in the United States is like almost 500 students per counselor. Wow. So even if you do want to go reach out, a lot of these students don't have much of an opportunity to get help on this. So that has been a big struggle as well. And I think a lot of it is is more than just the school. It's it's about the parents too, kind of talking about what we just talked about, you know, making sure that you're validating and, you know, talking with them and whatnot. But yeah, there's there's definitely a, a big problem and school counselors is a big part of it. And I actually made a YouTube video on this like a few weeks ago, like detailing out like 10 different things 
that I think schools could do to help with this. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'll probably send people out to that. So is there something that uh, you feel like parents can kind of take a role in helping to work with the schools to revamp the mental health services at their school? Or is that pretty much up to the school system or maybe it's just our voting? I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe with like voting school boards. I don't know a whole lot about that stuff, to be 100% honest. So I don't know how much parents have a say in the resources given into the schools. I'm not real sure. But there's definitely a lot of things that the the schools can do as far as like providing different resources. Uh, I mean, one thing is, I mean, there's tons of non-mental health nonprofits out there. Um, NAMI, you know, they got Mental Health America, there's the ADAA, and they all have local chapters just everywhere. And every single one of these, they provide resources specifically for students in schools. So just knowing about this and then getting this information to the students and to the parents so they know about that stuff, I think that's huge. I I always feel weird about, about saying this one, but I think it's a big big deal to like have people come in and speak to the schools. And I say, I feel weird because, you know, that's what I do, but I feel like I'm promoting myself type of thing, but no, it's really helpful to do so just to get the perspective from someone else who's been in their shoes type of thing. I think that's a, that's a huge one and also gets them to feel more comfortable, what kind of normalizes it, gets students, you know, talking among amongst each other. Uh, so that's a big one. I always think that there's opportunities to like maybe partner up with big online therapy type of things. I don't know exactly how you could do it, but I think there is a way to do so. If they partnered up with like BetterHelp or I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. That's the only one that's coming to mind. That's actually a good one. They're one of my sponsors. So we can just <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> stop with yeah. that one. <laughs> you can use that audio for, uh, yeah, for an ad. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think they could, yeah, partner up with them and do something to where even if they don't have enough counselors in the school that maybe they can, you know, go sit in a room and speak to a therapist during school instead of speaking to a counselor. I don't know how logistically how you could make that work, but I'm sure you could. I know there's a ton, like hundreds of millions of dollars worth of uh, grant money specifically for student mental health. So the funding is there to do it. It's just putting the money to make it happen. <laughs> You're right. When I was doing my research for my estate of mental health, they were talking about how the federal government has put oh, a yeah. lot of money into that bucket. So it's really just about, you know, hiring or creating programs that are that are going to um, support the students. I think, you know, I don't know if it's a California thing or just where we live, but we've been really lucky because my younger son was able to see his school counselor when he was dealing with the depression, we were really lucky he got in right away and was able to go in, you know, once a week to see him. And then there was also a school psychologist he was able to see. So we were very, very lucky. And their middle schools have like three or four counselors and they're just divided by last name and the schools are not that big. So we're extremely lucky to have those resources. So somewhere in the U.S., there's they're really hurting in some other areas for sure. My home state is the worst. Is it? <laughs> I think, yeah, we have the worst ratio. I think it's like almost 700 students per counselor or something wow. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's really important. So you, it sounds like you have a YouTube channel that has some good resources on it. So tell us about that. Anything else, any other resources you have for parents, teachers, educators, 
people who care about kids out there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the, well, the YouTube channel is, well, it's a channel about mental health and social anxiety. Um, a little bit different. I cover like, I try to cover like current topics and like kind of give my take on it, that type of thing. So like next week's video is going to be over that CDC report that just went out. So looking forward to reading that this weekend. Um, and then, yeah, I have lots of different resources. If you go to my website, socialanxietykyle.com. And that's K-Y-L-E, right? Yes, K-Y-L-E. And also I have a book coming out next month, my first ever book. So super hyped about that. Oh, awesome. If you're listening to this, the website should be up for you to be able to order it, but it's feellessanxious.com. That's where you can find the book. Great. And is that for adults who are feeling anxious, for parents who have kids who might have anxiety, for both? It's really for anybody. I, I mean, I kind of wrote, wrote it for teens slash young adults, but it's really just about how to be proactive with your mental health instead of being reactive. I mean, we need to know the reactive tools too, but like, how can we keep it to where we're not feeling anxious on a day-to-day basis? Like, what can we do in the mornings to be able to set us up in the best way possible. That's what it's about. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was a a great topic and very informative. So I really appreciate you sharing with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.